tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. Happy Feast of St. Andrew. And boy, you know, I was looking St. Andrew up. Everybody claims him. Uh, very interestingly, though, the uh, the Orthodox Church claims him as the founder of the, uh, of the uh, 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 city of Byzantium. Because, of course, Constantinople was built in Byzantium. So they claimed an apostolic... Uh, uh, foundation for the town of Byzantium because, uh, as I said the other day, the the Bishop of Rome did not move to the new Rome. So, well, I don't know. I, I wasn't there. It may, it, it may all be true. So, uh, there you go. I don't know. Uh, lots of people claim different parts of St. Andrew. Uh, part of him's in Patras, part of him was in Constantinople. And so, all I know is he was the first one to follow the Lord. So happy Feast of St. Andrew, and let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. And kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, the evil spirits who prowl about the world, saying, the Lord of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. This first read, this may not, I don't know if this will mean as much to other people as it uh, does to me, you know, having been involved since my youth with uh, the Pentecostal movement. Um... I have lived on the edge of things evangelical, and um, this idea of being saved, it's a very good question. Um, but in my experience, there were people who who very aggressively tried to get you think wasn't real. And they referred to this Romans 10, the ninth verse and following. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes in the heart and so is justified. One confesses with the mouth and so is saved. They would interpret that to mean that if you said Jesus is Lord, that you're going to heaven. 
I, I really met people like this. And I know a lot of evangelicals who would say that's ridiculous, that, that your life has to uh, correspond to that declaration of, of uh, faith. But uh, th- I think there was and there still are people who very aggressively, um, I remember there was a guy who he would say if he met someone at a party, he would get them in a corner and not let them out until they said, uh, I believe in my heart that, that uh, I, God raised Jesus from the dead and I accept Jesus is, and, and, and Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And then he'd move on to the next one. Um, very strange, <laughs> but there, there's a strain of, of uh, literalism. I don't say fundamentalism, but literalism that, that believes that. But, uh, so what does this mean? Confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart? Well, let's, let's apply the dubious uh, Simon approach to translation on this. If you confess with your mouth, well, what does confess mean? Confess means agree. Well, what are you agreeing with? You're agreeing with your heart. <laughs> if you confess with your mouth, if you agree with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, what does that mean, that Jesus is Lord? Uh, well, it means that Jesus is in charge of my life. Okay, that, that yeah. I I really think that, that you have to look at... Um, the Jewish liturgy to understand this, because uh, as I've shared with you many, many times, no devout Jew would ever pronounce YHWH out loud. Uh, since the destruction of the temple, no devout Jew has ever said that. Now, Pope Benedict the the sixteenth said um, unadvisedly, and we certainly shouldn't use it in prayer. In, in study and scholarship, we can use it. So I am going to use that word, Yahweh, as most scholars think that that, that YHWH was pronounced Yahweh. I, I, I really hesitate to say it out of respect for devout Jews. Now that said, what did a Jew say if that was God's name and a Jew came, comes across the word YHWH in the text? What did they say reading it out loud? And, and of course, it is read out loud in synagogue and in many places. Well, they say Adonai, which means Lord. It's very interesting. You combine the vowels for Adonai and the consonants YHWH and you uh, that 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 word is a non-word. Jehovah is a non-word. It it was it didn't exist before the 12th century when somebody looked at the Jewish text, and they they saw the the <clears throat> vowels for Adonai and the consonants for YHWH, and and they said, oh, yeah, obviously that that's Jehovah. That that word didn't exist before then, um, which I think is kind of funny since their whole segments of music and religious groups that use that word a lot. Well, why, why did they do that? Out of respect for the holy name uh, that, that uh, they called him Lord, Adonai. So when St. Paul says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is no one can can honestly say that Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob without the inspiration of God. And here's the same thing. If you agree with your mouth that Jesus is God, 
that Jesus is the God worshipped by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you realize a Jew hearing that would have said, are you crazy? Are you nuts? The unspeakable name of the invisible God worshipped by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's in fact a Jewish carpenter who was born in the barn and died under arrest. Yeah. And you trust. Now, remember, the word believe means trust and trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Now, we Catholics, we think you got to do a lot of stuff to get saved. No, we don't. We think that, that the moral quality of your life is directly related to your salvation. In other words, if you say I'm saved and you don't uh, uh, honor God and obey God, well, you're mistaken. You're not trusting in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Well, what does that mean? You know, I, life is very short in this world. And if we're wrong, well, we've wasted a lot of opportunities for wealth and fun and, and fame by obeying the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Think about it. You know, uh, I, I was an ethical businessman, one can say, and therefore I didn't take certain advantages that would have made me rich. Well, I think of my own dad. My my father really believed that the Catholic Church was the church founded by Jesus through the ministry of the apostles. And if the Catholic Church said you don't use artificial birth control, you don't use artificial birth control. And my dad was an up-and-coming executive with Dun & Bradstreet, and... Um, uh, they moved him to Chicago, uh, got his six children settled and near a church that they liked. And then the company said, we're, we're moving you to New York. And he said, I can't do that. He said, why not? Because I have six in a good neighborhood with good schools and a good church. And, well, you're moving or you're fired. <laughs> and he chose the six kids especially since the seventh was on the way and that seventh was me. And it always, it always bothered my dad that, that everybody in his, you know, they, they, they called it a class, a class of, they would train a class of uh, executives in the business of, of stock trading. And uh, well, it always, he, he it, I think it galled him that everybody in his class became a millionaire Um uh, back when a million dollars was money. Um, in my book, it still is. But he chose, because he was a Catholic, he chose family and faith over wealth. Not not happily. I, I don't want to say that Dad said, oh, it's so much better. Ultimately, I think it was for him. But, um, you know, he obeyed. Because he trusted in his heart that this stuff was true. He believed in his heart. He trusted in his heart that God raised him from the dead. And it allowed him to sacrifice wealth for what he knew to be true. So this believing in your heart isn't just a warm, fuzzy feeling that you feel Jesus. No, it's trust. It's living your life based on the fact, the irrefutable fact that Jesus is God and rose from the dead because this trusting in the heart justifies one. I've, I've shared with you a thousand times what it means to be justified. To be justified means to be made like God. 
In other words, to be godly, to grow in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You know, you want a description of what Jesus looked like? We read in Romans the 12th chapter, or the Romans the 8th chapter, those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's purpose in my life is to make me look like Jesus. What did Jesus look like? Galatians the 5th chapter. Now the fruits of the Spirit are these. Sacrificial love, peace, patience, joy, long-suffering, generosity, humility. All of these all of these wonderful fruits of the Holy Spirit, they, they were the very character, the very personality of Jesus. If you could have gotten in a time machine and gone to the carpenter shop in Nazareth, you wouldn't think, oh, what beautiful blue eyes he had. No, you would have thought how kind he was, how generous he was. Uh, um, this is godliness. This is righteousness. This is justification. To be justified is to be conformed to the image of God, which Jesus is. And how does believing in the heart accomplish that? Trusting in the heart. I can let go of everything that is holding me down. I can let go of my desire for money, my desire for pleasure, my desire for fame. I can let go of these things, my desire for security, even my desire for life. I can let go of these things because I know in my deepest heart that Jesus conquered death. And if death is conquered, I have nothing to be afraid of, nothing at all. You see, believe, trusting in the heart is a lifelong process. You can't have, you can't uh, box someone into a corner and say, "Now repeat after me: I, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, uh, uh, and I believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead." That's not a bad thing to do, but it's a beginning. I've known people for whom that they called it the sinner's prayer and the little booklet we had, the four basic spiritual laws. Uh, ask God to forgive your sins, ask Jesus to come into your heart and accept him as your Lord and Savior. This is all a good thing. I know someone who was dramatically saved. Uh, he wandered out. He was a, 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 a drug-addled, stoned musician, and in a break he wandered out of a nightclub into a Pentecostal church and got saved and came back. And guess what? He was saved. His whole life changed. Work. But the formula isn't what works. It's the desire to know God and to know that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead. If you really believe this to be true, it will change who you are. So uh, I think that this is, this is a profound thing, um, this sinner's prayer. Um, uh, if you understand what it means, it's a great thing. But if you treat it like a magical formula, uh, one is not saved by magical mantras, be they Catholic mantras or Protestant mantras or anything in between. One is saved by accepting the truth in one's life that Jesus is God and was raised from the dead. And so it is that I can live a new life. And if you say, well, Jesus is God, um, and was raised from the dead, end of story, no. So that I can raise a new, live a new life. I can be justified. Okay, well, there you go. That's my opinion. Let us go to, uh, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with um, with um, more liturgical horrors in, uh, 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 what is it, uh, mass hysteria. So there you go. 
888-914-9149. We'll be opening the phones, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com forester. Bread. Bread. The song says one bread. You know, when I was a boy, you know, I, why am I talking about all these awful things that probably should best be forgotten? Because he who forgets history is doomed to repeat it. And that worries me. You know, how often I tell you that, that, that liturgy is structured. But it's the, the word means the work of the people. Liturgy, liturgos, it means the work of the people. And we're the people. No, you're not. You're part of the people. Again, I will say it, to be Catholic means you are part of something that is universal. That's what the word means. It is universal in space. It is universal in time. By claiming to be Catholic, we are united to people who are long dead. And we are united to a people who are yet to come. In other words, my universality, my membership in the universal church is not just us, me, my friends, our little group here. Uh, I remember one church I served in, they wrote their own creed. They had their own creed. It was a lovely creed. Uh, God is the God of Uptown. <laughs> he was the God of no one else except that little group of a couple hundred people who were the inclusive community, who actually had someone in, in their group who was... Uh, uh, African American. Um, they had one person who was not. Um, um, I'm digressing terribly, but uh, you know they weren't diverse. They weren't inclusive. They excluded anyone who didn't agree with them. Well, this inclusivist community, they they believed that the liturgy belonged to them because it was the work of the people, and they were the people. <laughs> Why do I mention this in the context of bread? Why do we use bread at Mass? Shouldn't the Chinese use rice cakes? Shouldn't the Africans, the East Africans, use sorghum? Uh, uh, what's this this uh, dominance of wheat? That's uh, Wheat was not the bread of the common man at the time of Christ. You know, the parable of loaves and fishes, those are barley loaves. Barley loaves were the food of the poor. Wheat was used for religious purposes and it was used, uh, it, it was it was the good stuff. And the Chinese use wheat. Um, uh, wheat is all over the place. Well, it wasn't in the Americas. Shouldn't they use corn? Couldn't they use tortillas? The grain that unites us is wheat. It was the grain used for sacrifice and much, if not most, of the ancient world, it was the, it was used in the temple, and our liturgy unites us to the temple. All right, what, 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 what's he? I, I'm going at the people who make their own bread for mass. It was very trendy, and I bet still is that that someone in the in the congregation would get make bread for 
the Eucharist, and this was made it the work of the people that we made our own bread. We didn't buy it from some religious goods store, and and uh, you know that that there are different recipes, and some of them have molasses, and some of them have all sorts of good crunchy things in them, and they're yummy. Um, can I have more communion? That was really good. Um, I'm not making this stuff up. I remember masses where we would use Lord knows what kind of thing that substituted for bread and Mogan David, because of course it was kosher. Mogan David is not valid material for mass. It, it, uh, you may like wine that that's a diabetes in a bottle, but it's, it's your Manischewitz, a Jewish dry wine. So yes, the classy stuff, the Manischewitz, no, the, uh, um, you may like that, but just because it's kosher doesn't mean it's all grape. It's not. It's it's a lot of it is is sugar and uh, you know that that grape and wheat. That's all that's valid for the mass. And there are parishes that I know where where you make your own bread. They make their own bread. The the committee makes it. They're, you know, and there has been a valid mass in those parish for years. If you're not using unleavened unless you're in the eastern right where they do use leavened bread that adds nothing but bubbles to the to the uh, uh adds no substance it adds only bubbles to the uh um uh, to the bread it does it's it's still 100 percent wheat and water if you're using anything but bread leavened or unleavened made of of uh, uh bread and water but father it looks more biblical how do you know have you ever seen a matzah made by made by uh, Orthodox Jews? They they they're these crumbly, half burnt, large. They aren't even the nice matzahs you get in the box from Manischewitz. My point is this: good. Tell us your point and get over with it. Again, mass unites us to the temple in Jerusalem. It unites us to every human being who has ever been a Christian throughout history, whoever will be a Christian throughout what remains of history. It is not mine. I cannot inflict my personal taste on it, even if my personal taste goes to nice, crunchy, tasty bread made with molasses and lots of sugar and maybe raisins. <laughs> I remember actually hearing a story of a priest who, who was consecrating raisin bread and said, this is my body except for the raisins. I mean... He actually said we didn't stay in the priesthood long after that. Um, so, remember, liturgy, not my property, not even our property. It is the property of the people of God. That's why it's called the work of the people. And work there is the, it, it doesn't mean something that we do. It means our responsibility is the responsibility of the people of God. Ah, uh, makes me crazy. Of course, that's easy to do. All right, let's go to letters. All right, I got letters. All right, this is one uh, here. Uh, this is from Joan. And um, I remember, I grew up going to the Latin Mass. I remember two types, high Mass and low Mass. As I hear slash read about Latin Mass today, I do not hear those terms used. Can you explain the difference between high mass and what was low mass? Yes. Uh, you actually had three kinds of mass. You had, so well, I have four. You, a pontifical high mass, a solemn high mass, a high mass, and a low mass. Um, the pontifical high mass, I think it's uh, 
you know, I, I, if someone's listening who knows this, I'd appreciate it. But it was celebrated by a bishop, the uh, um, and as such had a little bit more uh, ceremony to it. Uh, a, a solemn high mass was celebrated with a priest, a deacon, and a subdeacon, and it was invariably sung. Uh, the gospel and the epistle were sung. Uh, um, then there was the high mass, which was kind of, it had elements of the solemn high mass, but it was said simply by uh, uh, the priest. You didn't have a deacon and a subdeacon. Uh, and then you had the low mass, which was not sung at all. And uh, it was a very simple mass. I uh, usually just said it was almost like a priest's private mass that other that people could attend. And during the weekday, that's what you had. You had usually the low mass, and you would have low masses on Sunday. Um, uh, but you usually had one high mass. Uh, so that's the difference between low mass and high mass. High mass, it, the mass was in large measure sung. Uh, the canon was not sung. That's kind of a... Uh, you know, they insist that at one point it was sung and people try to sing it again. And it's, I always find it kind of odd because, well, I grew up in the old mass. But um, uh, that's the difference in high mass and low mass, Joan. I hope that helps and answers your questions. Um, the Okay, let's see here. Um, okay. This is from Andrew. Happy feast day, Andrew. Uh here is perhaps an unexpected question about the right of peace. The right of priest, the right of peace, the priest says, look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. How does the faith of Christ's church help us? Where does this idea of the church's faith helping an individual's sin come from? Why should we be so bold as to ask Christ to, uh, to, to, to take a, uh, this is, I, I can't understand this line, Andrew, to away from our sins. Uh, um, I think, uh, take away our sins, uh, easy, uh, you know, again, back to what I talked about in the, in the scripture study, uh, today, people talk about, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior? Yes, I do. Not private, but it's personal. Most people, when they say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? They mean, do you have a private relationship with Jesus? And there's no such thing as a private relationship with Jesus. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we enter into a relationship with the whole Christ. And guess what? He's got this bride. And he calls her his body. And she is the church. And thus, my trust in God benefits you. Your trust in God benefits me. It, it, it's, you know, we are not rugged individuals in the church. We are persons, not rugged individuals. And uh, it's kind of hard for, for a lot of us to, to see that distinction. But uh, look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. We live in the, you know, the communion of saints, the merits of the saints, uh, people say, what do you mean the merit, the treasury of the merits of the saints? Well, if there's all this good stuff, like uh, uh, Pokemon characters in the game, is that Pokemon the game? I don't play computer games because they invariably win. But uh, you store up all these points. Isn't that what the treasury of the saints is like? And if the, po if the Pope has access to the treasury of the saints, couldn't he just open it up and let everybody out of purgatory? We're looking at it as a bank. It's not a bank. It's a family. Uh, that that I look at the treasury of the merits of the saints as one would look at watertight compartments on a ship. 
if you got enough watertight compartments in a ship, if the ship is leaking, it's not going to sink. And the saints are kind of watertight compartments. This is an odd way to look at the communion of the saints. But their lives are done deals. Their writings are written. Their their lives of virtue sustain the church. And the church is, is in a difficult situation this in these days. You may have noticed. There are all sorts of renegade theologians who are left over from my education. You know, young liberals who are 70 and 80 years old who... Uh, uh, um, are really, you know, just when you thought it was safe to go back in, into the into the pew, uh, it's all kind of we're reliving the '60s and the '70s, and all of these people are are rehashing things that were tired then and are still tired. So what do we do? Well, we have a universal church, as I was saying, and we have two thousand years of of unbroken writing and thought and spiritual life. It's called the communion of the saints. And I can look at the communion of the saints and their trust for God uplifts me. So look not on my sins, on our sins, meaning us who are here present, but look at the treasury of the merits of the saints who sustained the church, the church triumphant in glory. Um, they pray for us. We use them as 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 guides to Christ so uh, that's a real thing that we're saying look not on my on our sins but on the faith of your church um and um about the bold part I'm not quite sure I it may be bold but I'm still asking the lord to uh <laughs> to forgive my sins let's see here I did that the uh, let's see here I did that I did that okay I didn't Erase it, though. Okay. Um, let's see. I think, I think, therefore, I am. No, I'm not. Um, uh, Dan asked about um, uh, um, a group called the Anglican, uh, is the, the Anglican Right Catholic Church. I think it is... Uh, um, it's 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 kind of not the or don't confuse it with the Anglican ordinariate or the Anglican church. There are a group of people who are claiming to be uh, um, kind of a true church sort of thing. And uh, it looks kind of uh, the Anglican patriarchate of Rome. It's it's I, I, it's kind of a new thing, but I think it, it seems a little strange to me. And it definitely is not Catholic. So I, I hope that that helps a little bit uh uh dan uh so and i think with that said yeah it, it, it's they kind of uh pretend that they're they're the vatican and they're not all right well we're gonna we're gonna take a break we'll come back with a word of the day and uh we'll open the phone for your phone calls at 888-914-9149 888-914-9149 the Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. This is a great song. Total, total hippie music, of course. He became a Muslim. Uh, but <laughs> moving along, uh, what was this guy's name? Why can't I think of his name? 
Cat Stevens became, what is it, Yusuf Muhammad or something? Or, I don't know. Meh. And he regrets all the music he ever did. Well, I don't. Some of it's really good music. Uh, okay, Peace Train Holy Roller. All right. That's what they used to call us Pentecostals, because, well, <laughs> and turn your hymn books to hymn number 43 and roll on the floor. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's, uh, I want to stop and pray for something. Lord, while we've got you on the line, um, as the Supreme Court, uh, here's the, the Dobbs case, which would um, go a long way to ending or to limiting, at least limiting abortions in this country. Lord, we, we ask that, that be gracious to our nation. And I thank you, Lord, for people like Joe and Ann Scheidler. May Joe rest in peace. Um, and and um, who stood in the gap and who still stand in the gap. Uh, have mercy on this country, Lord, and don't let us, don't let us uh, continue this abomination of abortion. Amen. All right, let us go to the word of the day. All right, yeah, that's something to pray for that Dobbs case. And if you don't know what it's about, look it up. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's uh, uh, the the Supreme Court is, as I understand it, and dear voice might correct me if I'm wrong. You're smarter about these things than I am. Uh, I believe that the Dobbs case uh, means that that abortion would be again kicked back into the states. If and, if, uh, if Roe v. Wade was overturned, yeah, that's what would happen. If Roe v. Wade would be overturned to say that this isn't a constitutional right and it would be kicked back into the states, where many many states, if not most, are very strongly anti-abortion. Ah. Uh, and I really think it's a pivotal issue. You know, uh, Abraham Lincoln said, if slavery is not wrong, then nothing is wrong. And I, I paraphrase what he said. If abortion is not wrong, then nothing is wrong. And that's exactly why it's so important to certain people. They want nothing to be wrong. All right. Um, the word of the day is today. Oh, there we go. Did we do that already? Ah, it's nice twice. Is uh, um, about the conversion of James and John, which sort of segues from the reading. But I, I'm interested in the version in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, um, Mark 19, going a little farther, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Uh, they were uh, uh, in a boat mending their nets. Immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Uh so uh, the idea is that he's he's going down the beach with Peter and Andrew, whose feast day it is, and there he sees James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and there are many of the nets in, in the boats with the hired men. Uh, that's fascinating because they were not poor people. Their father had boats, and he hired people. The word in Greek for hired is misthoton. Mislos is uh, it means those who receive a salary, uh, and and so they left, they left their businesses. Uh, they they had they had lives, and uh, well, I suppose like my father, they saw something better, and uh, they, they didn't want to leave their their uh, their lives. But they did. They saw something better. But to me, you know, I remember someone coming up to me, uh, noting a ring I had. It's it's a ring that my father gave to me when steady when they were young and poor in 1929. And she said, Jesus didn't own anything. Um, or you no, know, the apostles, they were all poor men. And I said, where did you get that from? What's well, in the Bible. 
No, it's not. There were some who were quite rich, like Matthew slash Levy, James and John, uh, apparently were, were well off. And uh, there's a tradition that uh, they were good friends to the high priest and supplied kosher fish to him. Uh, so this idea that, that, that uh, um, um, it's all about the poor disciples. No, they chose poverty for the sake of Christ. They chose inconvenience. And uh, I think it's significant to notice that one word, the hired men. Uh, it's about the, the very genuinely diverse crowd of people that Jesus called. All right, let's go to phone calls. 888-914-9149. Hello. Yes. Hello. Who have we got? Dear voice in my head. Tony from Napa, what can I do for you? Hey, Father Simon. Uh, just want to tell you how much I enjoy your show. Uh, Thank I really you. Like I do, too. I have a great time. Scripture. You explain Scripture and church teaching so well on so many subjects. So, for example, today you talked about, you know, communion of saints. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus? Beautifully uh, clarify. What does it mean? Uh, what is the Mass? You know, it doesn't belong to us. We don't have a right to mess it up. And then you know, earlier you talked about justification. What does it mean to be justified? Sorry, I'm out of breath. I just going upstairs. And, uh, you know, that, you know, <laughs> it's about holiness. So, so anyway, I, it, everything you do is so well stated. I want to thank you for that. I just want to make one uh, hopefully constructional uh, criticism, and that is sure. once in a while you'll say at the end of something that you've clarified so well as really what the Church teaches, you did that this morning, that's just my opinion, you'll say. And I think, wait, that's not just your opinion. I mean, I think you're probably saying that because you're humble, but it's really the teaching of the Church and Scripture that you're clarifying so well for us. But when you say that's just my opinion, to me it sometimes will minimize the impact of the beautiful teaching you've just given us. And I think you might want to think about that, that maybe you don't want to no, I, I will. use I will. that phrase, it's but just if, my opinion, when, when it really is more than just your opinion. I mean, Maybe I can tweak that. Uh, you know, you, you, have a, you have a point. I think maybe I should tweak it with that's how I understand it. And I, I'm very careful for a reason. I mean, I, I really am not infallible. And, uh, you know, St. James says those who are teachers should worry because they will have a double judgment. Um, and, and I, you know, it, it isn't so much humility on my part. And, you know, I'm very humble and proud of it. Uh, just joking. That isn't humility. It's it's an awareness that I'm capable of misinterpreting things. And it's really kind of a caution. It, it's 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 much more fear than humility um, that that I, I really um, want people to become disciples. You know, a disciple is a student. And if I'm this absolute uh, infallible interpreter, or at least an interpreter thinks he's infallible. You know, I, 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 I worry that I will discourage people from look it up yourself, discipleship. I think, you, but your criticism is well taken. I, perhaps I should, instead of saying, well, that's my opinion, when I'm trying to uh, share something that I believe to be the teaching of the church, I should say, that's the best that's that's what it is to the best of my understanding look it up yourself uh i i'll, I'll seriously consider it and pray about it tony because because i've had other people say that that it does kind of diminish uh and it isn't my opinion it's it's what i understand uh 
from having these 60, 65 years studied what the church teaches. So it's, and I'm, I'm on it. You listen, and it sounds like you really are paying attention. So there you go. Uh, you know, and, and, um, I think the whole thing is is discipleship. We need to be the disciples of the Lord and, and just constant students. So, well, thanks for listening, Tony. God bless you. And I'm honored and I will prayerfully and thoughtfully consider your critique. It is um, it is a well-taken one. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? Martha from Pittsburgh, are you with us? Yes, Father Simon, first-time caller. Oh, you're from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a lovely city. I remember Pittsburgh yeah. when it wasn't a lovely city. My godparents yeah. moved there. I oh, oh gosh, I you couldn't see across yeah. the river. Yeah. Now yeah, it's it's beautiful. In, it's a yeah, lovely city. Yeah. Exactly. Amazing. I was born in 1948. Yeah, I heard a lot about ah, that. Ah, we're was peers. I was born in 1949. I remember yeah, it. I can remember being there when yeah. I was three or four. It's wow. Nice. Well, it what can nice. I do? Enough it's, with um, Pittsburgh. What can I do for you, Martha? Yeah. Well, okay, I've been I've been kind of perplexed for quite a while with this. Um, every day I pray for my kids, grandkids, and other pe- people sometimes. And I always, I've been wondering now, should I be praying for guardian angel intercession, my guardian angel to intercede, to watch over them? Or should I be praying to their guardian angels to watch over them? I would say both. <laughs> you can never have too many okay. angels on your side. And the angels, uh, they are... They are beings who live in another dimension, and that being here and there is not a problem for them. The Bible says that the guardian, the angels constantly behold the face of the Father in heaven. Well, then if they're in heaven, how can they be here? Well, that's the neat thing about angels. They can be in more than two places at once. So I would, I would, I would pray to the guardian angels of, of, of the people who I'm praying for and ask that they uh, do their job. Uh, and and carry my prayers to heaven for these people and my guardian angel too. So it, it's not either or; it's both and. So there you go. Well, thanks for calling in. God bless in Pittsburgh, great city. What can who we got now? Dear voice in my head, Dolores from Phoenix. Dolores, what can I do for you? Uh, good morning, Father. I have a philosophical question. Ooh. What is Pascal's wager? And I'm going to hang up oh. so I can listen to you. Okay, okay. Pascal's wager. He said that life is kind of a wager. If you believe in God and believe in the moral law that he teaches, and it isn't so, when you die, if there's nothing there, you will have lost nothing. You will have lived a better life because of your, your mistaken belief that there's a God. However, if you think there is no God and you live a life of sin and greed and selfishness and it turns out there is a God, well, you've lost everything. So by living a sinful life, whether there is a God or not, you lose everything. And by living a virtuous life, whether there is a God or not, you gain everything. I find that kind of unsatisfying. That's that's Pascal's wager. I, I find that a little unsatisfying. Um, that, that I, I'm, I, I really think that, that it's more than a wager. Pascal was a great thinker and that was just an interesting sort of ex- mental exercise. He, he deeply believed in the faith. Uh, um, but in secular France at the time of the enlightenment, uh, he was making a very good case. I really do think that, that, um, 
it's very hard. You can live there. People are very moral to a certain, in a certain sense, to a certain degree, who don't believe that God exists or that they'll face judgment. But to me, the, the perception of reality is is a, a very important thing for uh, um, morality. That that morality sees things as they are, and uh, and acts consequently. And the truth that I have beheld and that you behold as a believer is that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. So I hope that helps. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? Ron from Austin. Are you with us, Ron? What can I do for you? Yes, Father, I'm, I'm with you. I have quite a quandary, and I want to ask you about this. You know, St. Saint, uh, Saint, uh, John Paul Newman said, he said, if someone leaves the church they're compelled to condemn it. And uh, hmm. I, I can attest to that. My, both of my children are, about, are both married in 40 and, li- and are now Protestants. Um, you know, I'm looking on and I'm going, well, how am I going to be buried Catholic? I don't have, you know, they're, they're so antagonistic toward Catholic. Or I, hmm. Do you have any ideas to help me make sure that I'm, that I'm buried Catholic, you know? Put it in the will. Is that right? Put it in the will and get a good executor of the will. Get an executor who is from your church, who is a good Catholic, who will make sure you are buried uh, with a a requiem mass uh, and and buried in consecrated ground. Um, And, um, you know, that and uh, make the uh, inheritance... And, you know, I don't know if you're a man of substance or not, but uh, uh, if you have life insurance, that sort of thing, put a codicil on it that it goes for your funeral and that if they if they resist, they inherit nothing. Um, you know, that that um, that's what I would do. That uh, Yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just they, sad. They're very... They're very good Christians, Father, but they but they just are very antagonistic. Well, toward, toward... what does that mean? I mean, if if they were good Christians, they would they would um, they would obey the fourth commandment, or as we count it, the fourth. They would honor their father and their mother, that it might go well with them in the land. That sounds very harsh. That that, that I would I would say modify your will. Uh, you're not cutting them out of the will. You're just saying this is an integral part of my last will and testament and um uh, if they refuse to honor their father then it should not go well with them in the land the lord their god your god is giving to them the saint paul says this is the only commandment that comes with a promise honor your father and your mother the next time they're saying that say well you certainly aren't good christians what do you mean we're not good christians has god not said honor I, I i respect your decision and your conscience to to leave the church in which i raised you but I will not respect, uh, I will not submit to your breaking one of the commandments by refusing to honor me, to bury me in the way I choose to be buried. They're, they're, this is a failure in their Christian life. Uh, they don't have to attend the funeral, uh, just that you be buried. And, uh, you know, I, I would, I would, uh, I would get, I would, I would, I would enshrine that in the will. So I know that sounds difficult, but it's Bible. Does that help a little? 
Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I, yeah. I, you know, I, yeah. I never. I don't know. I don't know where I'll, where I'll be whenever you know whenever I die. You know, and I can't guarantee. No, it, you but. don't know. And but this is your will. And uh, um, I also would, uh, uh, if you have any friends who are priests, I would I would ask them to make sure, even if somehow they find a way to evade that will, that mass is said for the repose of your soul. I think it's an important thing. I, you know, I. I uh, had a classmate who left the priesthood and was not even buried with a mass, and it was just, you know, I've actually heard cases of people doing who, who, uh, the haunted places that the only way to unhaunt them was to offer a requiem mass, so or mass of the Christian the Christian burial, whatever we're calling it these days. So uh, I wouldn't threaten to haunt them. But I certainly would would uh, uh, make provision in my will with a good executor, a good Catholic executor, that that you were buried in in with a, with a Catholic mass in consecrated ground. So, yeah, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. They should respect your choice because you respect their choice. You got a conscience. They got a conscience. And it's a shame they're more infallible than the Pope. Well, Drew's coming up, and he's not infallible, but he's pretty good. <laughs> 